0: I'm here today with Phil Smith. Phil and I went to college together and uh, he's coming to us from his office in Littleton, Maine. And uh, it is great to have another Northeast guy, or at least I'm not from the Northeast, but living in the Northeast uh, to share on our podcast today. And uh, Phil, for those people that are watching or listening that don't know you, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your family.
1: Sure. My name is uh, Phil Smith. I grew up here in Northern Maine. I live in a town that, as Darrell mentioned, a town called Littleton, Maine uh, that is near Holton, Maine. Holton, you'll be able to find on a map. Uh, Littleton, maybe not. <laughs> but, um, uh, but I grew up here, and uh, uh, Holton is the last exit on Interstate 95 before you cross the Canadian border. Um, uh, as Daryl said, I moved to North Carolina, went to college, ministered there for 25 years. The Lord led me back home in 2014, me and my family, uh, Catalina and, uh, was my wife and, uh, two children, Catherine and Jonathan. And, uh, we have been enjoying God's blessings and mercy here, uh, ever since.
0: Amen. And, uh, Phil, why don't you take a little, take a, take us through uh, your testimony a little bit, as far as growing up in Maine, getting saved, going off to college, just kind of walk us through that and then maybe how you met your wife.
1: Sure. Um, uh, my mom and dad, I always, when I share my testimony, I always like to tell this that, uh, God began working in my life about two years before I was born. Um, My mom and dad were good, what you would call God fearing folks. They were good people. Um, My brothers and sisters grew up going to every vacation Bible school in the neighborhood and uh, uh, things of that nature. Uh, But uh, they did not, they had not ever accepted Christ as their savior until beginning about two years before I was born. My middle sister Wanda, uh, started attending a church in Holton and uh, she was saved and uh, my brothers and sisters followed her and about a year later, my mom and uh, then the year before that I was born I was born, my dad got saved. So out of six children, I'm the youngest of six children and um, out of the six kids, I'm the only one who, never knew the, uh, what it was like to have an unsaved mom or dad. I never knew what it was like to know the influence of an unsaved brother or sister. And, uh, for that reason, I have always felt that God was preparing me for something that he had something he wanted me to do. And, uh, I I grew up in church. Um, and, as a child, I remember always feeling like I was saved. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was four, maybe five years old, uh, our church had a baptism service, and we had baptism at the uh, at the lake, and um, and I remember the pastor standing in the water asking if anyone else would like to be baptized today, and uh, I. I uh, pulled on my mama's coat probably and told her I I wanted to and she said do you know what that even means and I remember thinking I know that it means I want Jesus to be my savior and I'm trusting him but years later I realized I had never truly asked Jesus to be my savior I had never true asked him to forgive my sins and um and so when I was 13 years old, I gave my heart to the Lord, and uh, then the Lord began working in my life in a bigger way. Um, I answered the call to preach when I was uh, 15 years old, and uh, and immediately after, um, you know, the Bible says that uh, Jesus says that Satan is a liar and a thief, and the thief comes forth, but to Steal and kill and destroy, and uh, Satan wanted to destroy my future. And uh, uh, shortly after I answered the call to preach, uh, I went through a phase of rebellion against the Lord and against my parents and against my upbringing, and uh, and it was a time in my life I was not proud of. But when I was seventeen, I. Um, renewed that relationship with the Lord. And uh, my pastor, we got a new pastor in June, the year that I was gonna become a senior in high school. And that pastor had just graduated from Southeastern Frugal Baptist College. And he took us teenagers on a trip from Northern Maine to, at the time it was Virginia Beach, Virginia, uh, about 1,100 miles. And, um, and we visited the campus of Southeastern and I told the Lord, if he, if, if, if I went to college and he wanted me to go, that Southeastern is where I would go. And so I got there and, uh, I kind of, uh, that my senior year in high school, after I rededicated my life, I said, Lord, surely after what I have done to you, you can't use me in the ministry, in the pastorate. But uh, I will remain committed to full-time Christian service. And so I took uh, music education in college and uh, was wanting to become a music or music and youth pastor, possibly a teacher. And uh, so, that's how I got to Southeastern and started my studies. And, uh, that's also where I met Catalina. Uh, she, she started attending in uh, 1990 and, uh, I met her and was, uh, really impressed with her. And I thought I was going to start dating her. I asked her to the Christmas banquet and, uh, from there, things were going pretty good. And I thought, you know, I I could get used to this girl. And uh, we hung around a bit and, uh, there before Christmas. But of course, the Christmas banquet is right before the Christmas break. So we went on Christmas break. And when we came back, uh, my birthday is January 7th. Today's my birthday. And uh, Catalina's birthday is January 12th. And so uh, we were still kind of hanging around each other and getting to know one another at that point. Uh, But her folks came up for her birthday that weekend. First weekend, we were back in school. And she went out with them. And and for her birthday, they took her out and took her shopping. And and, uh, she bought me a birthday present. And it was a Citizen Watch. Now you got to understand, um, my folks didn't hardly have anything growing up. We, you know, we had enough to eat and a roof over our head and got the bills paid. But partly because of that, and partly because my birthday is right after two weeks to the day after Christmas. I just never got a lot for my birthday. And uh, I told her later that probably one of the best Christmas gifts I had ever gotten, I mean, uh, birthday gifts I had ever gotten was a, a flannel shirt. And then this girl that I just met and started hanging around, not even officially a couple or dating then, she goes out and buys me a citizen watch for my birthday and I'm like, whoa, put on the brakes. This is going way too fast. (laughs) So, so, um, (laughs) things slowed down a lot. And, uh, for the next couple of years, we were still friends, but, but that relationship never did really develop then. And, uh, but a couple of years later, uh, we were spending more time together uh circumstances in our lives caused us to spend more time together we were working together and going to church together and uh and the lord continued to develop that relationship then and we were married in uh, august 12th
0: 1995
1: mm. and uh and uh, the rest is history, so they say. <laughs>
0: yes, we had as, as
1: we were married uh, five years. Uh, no, we were married two years, and when she got pregnant with Catherine, uh, uh, so our daughter Catherine is our firstborn. She's uh, twenty-three years old now, and then five years later, uh, we had another child. Catalina had we had wanted to have two children pretty close together in age, but uh, that didn't happen. And, um, and we both remember one day uh, we were having uh, devotions, putting Catherine to bed. And she was somewhere around five years old and, and we were tucking her in for the night and saying our nighttime prayers with her. And she said, i want a brother or sister and catalina said well then you need to pray for it and ask god to give you a brother or sister and she did that night and about a year later we had Jonathan. so uh the lord blessed us and as i say we ministered there in north carolina from uh well we were married in 95 I was actually out of college and working part-time in a church uh, since 92, and, uh, and then in 2014, the Lord uh, led us here to Northern Maine. And as I said, I was from Northern Maine, but I had no intention of being in the ministry when we moved up here. My folks were getting older, uh, being the last of six kids, of course. Uh, They were older when I was born. Mom was 36. Dad was 41 when I was born. So in that time in North Carolina, I missed their 50th anniversary and their 60th anniversary. And about 2010, my mom started getting dementia. And uh, there were times in North Carolina that I would call her. And I knew that she didn't recognize who I was. She knew that I was one of her children, but she didn't recognize who I was. And eventually um, I was talking about Catalina and the kids one evening. And she said, now you're married and have kids. And I said, yeah, Ma, that's right. And she said, well, I didn't know anything about that. (laughs) And I said, yes, you did, Ma. And I've got the pictures to prove it because you were at my wedding. (laughs) She <laughs> laughed and said, well, I've been forgetting things lately, so that's possible. <laughs> so I wanted to move back to be with my folks and, um, and d- didn't have, there weren't any Free Will Baptist churches open at the time here in our area. Matter of fact, the only two Free Will Baptist churches in Maine are my home church and the church that I now pastor in our Northeast Association. Uh, so, um, I moved up here and two weeks after we moved here, the pastor at my home church resigned and took a church in, uh, upstate New York. And, uh, so my home church asked me to pastor, uh, then, and, uh, I pastored there for three years and the Lord led me here to Lake Road Free Will Baptist Church in Monticello, uh, Maine, but I, I live in Littleton.
0: I see. So before we uh, talk a little bit more about um, the last few years, I, I have a, a curious question for you. Okay.
1: Uh,
0: Catalina is originally from Costa Rica, correct?
1: That is correct, yes. So
0: any uh, any cultural uh, adjustments from uh, uh, a northern Maine and a Costa Rican <laughs> girl coming together?
1: <laughs> um, there were surprisingly few. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, But really, when I brought my we brought my father in law here on vacation with us. uh, In 2013. And he said, wow, he said this, this country, this area that you grew up in reminds me so much of Costa Rica. Of course, he was here in June, not January. That's why it reminded him of Costa Rica. Uh, But yeah, it's just a very rural setting. And uh, my father-in-law was the foreman of a farm in Costa Rica for a while. And so it reminded him a lot of his younger years when his family was new and growing. And and, um, there were some cultural differences between Catalina and I. Um, the idea of, uh, the, probably the biggest thing and the only thing that I can think of right now is the idea of the Hispanic, in the Hispanic culture families, the family unit is very strong and they typically, it's, it's not strange for extended family to live together. Uh, so there were times in Catalina's life when she lived with her aunts and uncles and cousins and uh time when uh they lived together in houses right in a row and uh and that aspect was different my family i mean i don't even remember some of my brothers and sisters growing up in our house so um you know that was very different for me and uh but that's the only thing that i can think of really culturally that uh was a difference.
0: I was just curious about that so that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So after you guys moved to Maine at some point uh I'm assuming Catalina started having some symptoms or some issues with her health is that right?
1: Yes um she had always been very healthy and very strong uh she didn't start working until the kids were both in school. And so I think uh, she worked for 16 years and I never knew her to call in sick in that 16 years. And even when she was sick, you know, had a cold or whatever and didn't feel good, she still went to work. Um, and then in, uh, October of 2019, she began feeling very sick, and I knew how seriously sick she was feeling when on the last day of October, well, it might have been the 30th of October that year, she said, "Um, I need you to take me to the, to the, uh," no, she said then, she needed a, 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 an appointment with her doctor. And it was a couple of weeks, but the 30th was the day that she went to the doctor. And uh, there was something in her uh, blood work, I think, that was off. Liver enzymes were, were elevated. And so she said, uh, her doctor said, uh, I'm gonna send you to the hospital to, have a CAT scan done of your liver, see if there's anything wrong. And so, the next week, the first week of November, we got the results from that CAT scan, and um, her doctor said, "Your liver looks fine, but it does seem that you have gallstones. So, I'm going to send your CAT scan to the surgeon uh, in the area, and uh, and you'll have we'll refer you to him for an appointment to." see what he thinks of your CAT scan and schedule a surgery if that's what's necessary. So that was November. And then December 30th, that was when I knew she was seriously sick, when she said, I need you to take me to the urgent care today. Something is really, really wrong. We went to the urgent care excuse me, and that day they said, uh, they took a blood sample and said, you need to go to the emergency room right now. Your uh, sugar level is off the charts and our glucometer reads up to 800. So your, your blood sugar is over 800. We're gonna call the emergency room, let them know you're coming so they'll get you in. So they took us in and um, dealt with it and got it down to slightly under 400 and uh, released her. Uh, they set up a, an appointment with the endocrinologist. And, uh, and so January, she went to the endocrinologist and uh, confirmed her what appeared to be severe diabetes and uh, developed a plan for her to deal with that February she had the gallbladder surgery had her gallbladder removed and then in March she still felt that same feeling that uh, she was not doing well and um March she was diagnosed with uh, She had the surgery and then uh, a couple of weeks later, she started feeling bad again. She did feel good after the gallbladder was removed, but then a couple of weeks later felt bad and that's when she got the diagnosis that she had stage four pancreatic cancer, which means it was in its final stages. She had a tumor on her pancreas that was uh, between the main blood flow to her pancreas and a nerve bundle on her spine and a bile duct in her liver. Uh, That's where that tumor was located and it affected all three of those things. And the cancer had already traveled to her liver, her pancreas, Uh, so there was no surgery. There was just treatment chemotherapy. So March, we started chemotherapy April, May, June, she found out she had two torn meniscus and a torn ACL in her right knee. July, she found out she had rheumatoid arthritis. And, um, and then July was when she finished her first series of chemo treatments. So it was not an easy year for us, 2020. Um, and, uh. The doctor said there in July when she stopped chemo, he said, you know, the CAT scan shows that your tumor has shrunk uh, measurably, uh, which is his way of saying it had shrunk a very little bit, and the spots on her liver and her diaphragm had shrunk, Uh, but he said, we have to give your body a break from the chemo, so I'm going to give you two months break uh august and september was her two months break when she went back in september we took another cat scan to see where we were going from there and the doctor said that the cancer had grown in that two months more than it had shrunk in the five months of chemo and uh she took one round of a second series of chemo and she and she was extremely sick. The first time she took chemo, three weeks she felt bad. And then almost to the hour, I could count on that third day, she would start feeling better. She could start eating again, getting up, moving about. Um, But that second series, that first treatment that she took, she was sick all week long. She couldn't eat anything until the fifth day. And uh, when the doctor gave us that report from the CAT scan, she said, I I can't take this anymore. I I was taking chemo for a certain quality of life and I'm not, I don't have any quality of life anymore. So I want to stop treatment. And uh, she was in hospice care about a month and a half in the hospice care. And she passed away November 2nd, 2019. 2020, 2020, you're right, thank you. Yes, November 19th, 2020. And you know, this whole time, of course, this was all part of a process that I had been seeing the Lord developing in my own personal spiritual growth especially in the 6 years that I've been here at Maine in Maine um the things that we as a family have gone through that I as a person as a pastor have gone through have been more intense in the last 6 years than they ever had been the rest of my life my adult life especially um, so I knew the Lord was trying to teach me something. And one passage that I found particularly comforting in this time was James chapter one, where James talks about uh, going through trials. And he says in James one, verse two, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temp- temptations or trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have its perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work, that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Mm. And so during that time, I remember thinking, okay, Lord, I got it. I understand what you want me to learn. So help me to have the grace And the wherewithal in this trial to learn what you want me to learn. And what I want to share with you and your listeners today is uh, this thought from that passage Brethren, count it all joy. Mm. Mm. You know, you know, when. We read that passage and we think, especially after going through something like this, we think, really, Lord? You, you tell me that I'm going to face these trials. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Expect it. James didn't say, if you have trials and testings. He said, when you have trials and testings." So we're to expect them. And we ask ourselves, Lord, you mean in this trial, you want me to be happy about it? You expect me to be joyful? <laughs> well, we got to remember happiness and joy are two very different things. God doesn't expect us to be happy about trials. You read through the Psalms and you see that, especially David, he pours out his hot heart to God when he goes through a trial. How long, O oh Lord, are my enemies going to prevail against me? How long will the heathen rage? My bones waxed old through their roaring all day long. David didn't just put on a smiley face and pretend nothing was wrong. He poured out his heart to God. He cried out to God in his time of of need and of trial and testing. And so God doesn't expect us to put on a smiley face and prepare something uh, and pretend that nothing is wrong. But here's the key in finding joy in the time of trial it is in that word trial james says knowing this that the trying of your faith that word word translated trial in the king james version the trying of your faith it was a mining term and it referred to what we would call the assayer's office we in western culture here in america we don't know much about we don't much know much about mining, but just very briefly, let me say: when you, if if you were to dig it in your backyard and find gold, you don't just go sell that gold and open up your mine. You take it to the assayer's office, and the assayer's office places a value on that on that ore. You know, the gold is mixed in with other dirt and and uh, minerals and things of that nature. And he takes it and cleans it up as best he can, and and he says he uh, says, okay, your your uh, mine, <clears throat> your gold find is worth five thousand dollars a ton. In other words, you have five thousand dollars worth of gold in a ton of what you're digging up.
0: Mm.
1: He puts that value on it. So when you take that meaning and you apply it probably the most picture perfect example of a man under trial in the scriptures the Old Testament person of Job remember Job said using that same word when I am tried I shall come forth as gold Mm -hmm. here's the picture that we get when we go through trial we can have joy in that trial. Because we know that just like Job, God wants to prove how valuable you are. Sometimes we need to know that ourselves, how valuable we are to him. In the case of Job, God wanted Satan to know how valuable he was. You know, that that first chapter of Job is almost unbelievable. Bible tells us Satan went before God. God said, what have you been doing, Satan? Satan says, well, I've been walking to and fro over all the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Really? I mean, Lord, you're going to sick him on us? No, no. God wanted to prove to Satan how valuable Job was to him. God wanted to prove to his wife who said, honey, just curse God and die. When she saw her husband sitting there in a pile of ashes, scraping, scraping his sores, knowing all that he had lost, every child and, and every child that he had, all of his thousands and thousands of flocks and herds, his home, his immense wealth, he had lost it all. And she said, honey, just get it over with, just curse God and die. God wanted to prove to his wife, how valuable Job was to him. Those three friends that sat around for the whole rest of the book, criticizing Job and telling him he's not being truthful. He must've done something wrong because God's not blessing him. God wanted to prove to them that they were wrong, that Job, was of immense value to him so my message to your listeners today is take heart in the time of trial
0: Mm.
1: and and years ago I developed this message from this passage the reality of trials is we're going to experience troubles and trials in this life James said when you experience these things it's going to happen the right response is joy in the time of trials. Mm. God wants us to know that we're valuable to him. Because the reason that he brings trials is because he wants us to grow up, to make, to make us complete and mature, lacking nothing. Mm. And the right re- request he wants us to make in times of trial is, Lord, teach me what you want me to know. Because one day, and this brings joy as well in a time of trials. One day, verse 12 of James chapter one tells us, blessed is the man who endures trials because when he has endured, when he's been tested, he shall receive a crown of life. Blessed is the man, that's reward for this life, for the here and now. That's the happiness that we were talking about earlier. You ever meet somebody, and you and I knew people like this in college, they were not happy <laughs> because they weren't mature. And as believers, if we don't grow up in Christ, we're not gonna be happy in our walk with the Lord. That's for the here and now, but for eternity, God says that child of mine that endures will receive a crown of white. So take heart believer. Mm. In times of trial,
0: Phil. Thank you for sharing that. I know. I know it can't have been easy to walk through that journey with your wife, um, and I can't imagine what you and your your kids uh, have been through. Um, but it is encouraging to be reminded that God was faithful and is faithful. Amen. Through it all.
1: Praise um, the Lord.
0: What are some things that we can pray with you, for you and your your, your kids about? Um,
1: well, um, pray that my children adjust well, as well as myself. Um, you know, this, this year is gonna be a year first. We've been through our first Thanksgiving, our first Christmas mm-hmm. without her. Her birthday's coming up in a few days. Mm-hmm. Mother's Day, going to be very hard. Mm-hmm. So pray that we adjust. Pray that, you know, the psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of death, the shadow of death. You know, God doesn't want us to dwell here We have to have that time of grief. We have to have that period of reconciling what has happened in our lives. But, but don't stay there. Move through, walk through that valley. So pray that the Lord helps us as we make that journey through the valley. Um, life is different for us now. I'm, I'm worried about my son going to college and, um, You know, our budget was set up so that my income paid for our day-to-day expenses and bills here at the house. Um, Catalina's salary took care of the extras. And so without her salary, I'm worried about Jonathan's bills. Um, And uh, God can work that all out. Uh, But uh, do pray about that. My daughter Catherine is also in, in uh, embarking on a new journey. Uh, she is a CNA, she's been working at a long-term care facility here in Holton, uh, but she is apply, applying for a position with traveling nurses uh, where she will travel anywhere she wants in the country. Um, and her and one of her close friends are uh, going to be doing that. So pray for their safety. You always worry about a couple of single women on their own. Um, pray for the Lord's hand to be upon their lives. Uh, those are the things that, that matter to me the most that you could pray for.
0: Well, we want to encourage our listeners to do that. And, um, uh, I really appreciate you sharing this. I know this is very fresh and, uh, um, but it's obvious the Lord has been working and moving in your heart and life and and uh, think about that passage of scripture I know I'll probably misquote it but uh, <laughs> he comforts us in our in our trials so that we can be a comfort to others and so that's right amen I hope and pray that God will bring those kind of people into your life and I know that he's already been using you to be that kind of person in other people's lives I can just know that that will be a part of of your ministry in the future. So,
1: Thank you, brother. And thank you for this opportunity to share in your ministry with this podcast and uh, to be a part of it. It's been a blessing to me.